This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Five-hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. Caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural sight. From the makers of five-hour energy. For more information, visit fivehourenergy.com. Calm. Take the baseline out. Uh huh. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. Let it bump uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knock Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you as always with my super duper, incredibly awesome, times awesome, esteemed co-host Andy Bailey. Uh, we're here today to talk about quarter poll grades for the Eastern Conference as he giggles in the background. We unfortunately do not have a guest. We had one lined up, and they were unfortunately able to go today. We're just going to leave it as a mystery guest because I'm going to let Andy reveal it anyway, and we hope to have uh, them on soon again. So you're stuck with us two for today. Before we get going, however, just want to remind you to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. You guys have no idea how much that helps us and how much we Really appreciate it. Uh, we're kind of near. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the. Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year. Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 50 ratings uh, and reviews like that would be spectacular if you could help us get to that benchmark and beyond as we continue this podcast journey. So again, get get on iTunes. Please rate, subscribe, and review to us. We might be running another contest soon, but you should really just get in on the rating, subscribing, and reviewing now. You can also follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. I'm at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E, and Andy is at Andrew D. Bailey, as always. So with all those little housekeeping tidbits out of the way, the question that everyone really wants us to get to every single podcast, how are you, Andy? I am excellent. I was giggling because when you first started these ridiculous intros for me, <laughs> I, would, I would try and like recap them after you were done, but it's, it's getting more and more difficult every time. Like, I've already forgotten all of the superlatives that you laid on me today. You're welcome. I, you know what? So I'm not going to lie. I stumbled halfway through and forgot where I left off, so I had to go awesome times off, awesomer because I couldn't really come up with a better superlative. It, well, I, I appreciate uh, whether they're grammatically correct or not. They work for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm probably going to run out of steam on them at, at some point because, you know, 
uh, it's just it's hard. It's like you said, you couldn't even keep track of them. No. Um, like you said, Eastern Conference grades, uh, we did nearly two hours on the Western Conference. Um, and that, that podcast is obviously still available for anybody who wants to go back and listen to that one. Um, we went deep dive on, on all 15 teams in the Western Conference, uh, like Dan said, with Dan Clayton. So that's still available today. It's just going to be me and Dan. Um, maybe that means a little bit more expeditious uh, version than we had on Tuesday. Um, I think we're just going to surprise each other again, like we did last time with the teams that we pick. And I'm just I'm going to start it off with the team that we were kind of talking about before we started recording, uh, and that's the Charlotte Hornets, who I expected to be much much better um, this season. In the off season, as you know, I, I I took the top ten players from every team in the NBA, and I looked at their wins above replacement projections from five thirty eight, and I added them together for the top ten for each team. Charlotte was second in the East, uh, according to that, and I I'm like a hundred percent certain uh, Cleveland was first, but I don't remember for sure. I just know Charlotte was second because that's the one that surprised me. Um, in addition to the pro- projections like that. I I've thought Kemba Walker for the last couple years has been um, one of the best point guards in the league. I was kind of ready for a Dwight Howard resurgence because because Steve Clifford has done interesting things with big men in the past. I think he made Al Jefferson uh, probably the most useful he's ever been in his career. Um, I like Nicholas Batum a lot. I, it just seemed like a lot Still? of those... no. I said I liked. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um. It just seemed like so many of those pieces fit together so well. And in practice, it just uh, it has not come together, obviously. They're, they're one of the most surprisingly bad teams in the league for me. Uh, as we're talking today on Thursday, they're currently 10th in the Eastern Conference in uh, net rating. They're outscored by 1.1 points per 100 possessions. They're, it just absolutely plummets uh, when Kemba Walker comes off the floor. There's really nothing saving that bench right now. I expected this team, maybe I didn't expect them to finish second, kind of like 538 did, but uh, I thought they would firmly be in the playoff line. It, it just seemed like every, every one of those pieces fit together to me, and it just, it just hasn't in reality. Yeah, they've regressed. And... Oh, and by the way, I don't think I said my grade. I gave them a D. Ooh, you were pretty I, – I didn't go that low, so, I mean, my grade for them uh, right now – you could easily justify – oh, wait, I gave them a D, too. Excuse me. So I gave, <laughs> I gave them a D. I'm, like, getting ready to just crap on you for what you said. Uh, I'm right there with you because Nicholas Batum still hasn't been back all that long, but it's been long enough to know that he's not the playmaker that they need to kind of bridge the gap between those stays when Kemba Walker's on the bench. Um, and he wasn't that guy last year. He turned the ball over a lot in the pick and roll. Their offensive numbers weren't great when he ran the offense without Kemba on the floor. This season, I think you can say quite clearly their second best player has been Jeremy Lamb, which yeah. is like, okay, cool, but it's it's. And Jeremy you would think Lamb. if they got that breakout from Jeremy Lamb that that would, like, that would just be gravy. They they do have some interesting lineups, and I think Jerem, they need – they're like, if Malik Monk, if we could fast forward into his career like two to four years, maybe they would be fine because it just seems like they need that extra guy. 
because Lamb and Kemba Walker, like you see it when they're playing alongside one another, the Hornets are just absolutely dominant. They can kind of, I think Walker is one of the most underrated defenders in the league uh, at the point guard position, but they can. Yeah, he's a little pit bull. Yeah, Lamb can still switch onto onto the assignments that they don't want him to cover, and you need that third guy so that you can always have mostly two of them on the floor at any given point. Batum is obviously supposed to be that player. He's a borderline max guy right now, and he's not even close um, to becoming, um, uh, like, performing up to that snuff. I, I'm going to hold out hope because their defense can still be okay. They're 12th in points allowed per 100 possessions, I believe, and they haven't been great since Steve Clifford kind of came out and said, we need our defensive identity back. Um, they're... They're like they're still good. They don't send opponents to the free throw line that much. They rank fourth in opponent free throw rate. They're getting to the line a lot, which I think helps Jeremy Lamb career high free throw rate. You have Kemba Walker there as well. There's obviously people who are going to foul Dwight, and probably the biggest harbinger for me, which makes me think that maybe they're just that one additional additive playmaker short. When Lamb and Kemba Walker, this was leading into their loss to the Warriors, uh, were on the floor this season. They're outscoring opponents by 10.6 points per 100 possessions, and that's the 15th best differential of 162-man lineups to exceed 410 minutes this season. So, like, that's legit. And they're one of, I think, only two or three teams that weren't the Warriors or Rockets in that top 15. Like the top, it was just basically Houston and Golden State up and down, and then there was a Milwaukee duo sprinkled in there. I think a Boston duo was there. So th- those are all good signs. But like you said, they were supposed to be firmly in the playoff picture. And if we get to a point where it's around Christmas and their offense still hasn't turned, they're not shooting nearly enough threes. Uh, they're using post-ups a lot again, which is a symptom of having Dwight Howard, it seems like. He's not embracing that Andre Drummond-like deference when it comes to to post-ups, and I, I mean, you can sometimes work it, but at the same time, like, allocating 8 to 9% of your offense to post-ups when you don't have a, a nice passer like Al Horford or DeMarcus Cousins there, it just doesn't, I don't think it's sustainable. So my question to you now after that long-ass rambling, do they consider blowing it up this year at any point? Like, if it becomes clear they're still going to be in the playoff picture when we get around New Year's just because the East is wonky like that. But when you look at the top eight right now, seven of those teams seem like locks. And I don't want to name them because we have to grade the rest of them. The only one that doesn't is the Indiana Pacers to me. And yet you still have the Knicks and the Heat kind of lingering outside the playoff picture. And even the Magic and the Nets have better or or comparable records to you right now. So I'm I think they are should consider it. If we move, you know, a few weeks ahead to January and they're just still not firmly in the picture. But I'm curious as to what you think, just because Charlotte has gone to great lengths to stay mediocre. Yeah, so I think they've almost reached a point where it's like anything on the table um, territory, which would include what you just laid out, blowing it up. The the thing that I would look to as like a reason for optimism for them, uh, that, that two-man lineup – like you said, when, when Kemba Walker and Lamb are on the floor, they're really good. When Kemba Walker's on the floor, regardless of who he's playing with, they're, they're pretty dang good. Um, the one stat that just blows me away with Charlotte is he's played 739 minutes this season, and Charlotte's plus 95 in those minutes. He has been on the bench for 370 minutes, and Charlotte is minus 131. Oh my 
in those 370 minutes. Um, so to me, they have one, two, you know, maybe even three or four pieces that make sense and could and could be like the core of a solid playoff team. Um, and maybe they're just one more player away who can make them at least like passable when Kemba's on the bench. If you had one other playmaker, like you said, if you could fast forward Monk two years, um, and maybe you can fast forward that by making a trade, by being a buyer at the trade deadline this this uh, that would be- February. Um, I don't I don't know who that guy is. I just think that, like I said, they're almost at like all options on the table territory, and I think one of those options might also be to be a buyer and, and see if you can get somebody who can play minutes and sort of hold down the offense when Kemba's on the bench. Cause it's obvious right now it's obviously not monk. It's obviously not Michael Carter Williams. Um, it's, it's hasn't been Batum. It's just, uh, just not on the roster right now. Michael Carter Williams has played some randomly good minutes for them. And I, I, I get the sentiment of being a buyer. My swing for the fences trade for them uh, would probably be to build a package around monk and a future first to try and get Goran Dragic out of uh, Miami. And then you run him and Kemba together in the starting lineup and have Lamb come back off the bench. Maybe that's something if Miami decides to become a seller. But I don't... Yeah, if they could duplicate like that two-point guard stuff that they had with Jeremy Lin a couple years ago. Yeah, so that, that would be an option for them. But if that's not out there, I think you even have to explore... Hey, what's the market for Kemba when he signed through next year on one heck of a deal? Because you're going to have to reinvest probably max money or close to it in him in 2019. Uh, yes, Dwight Howard comes off the books then as well, but you're still locked into Batum. You still have Michael Gilchrist on a reasonable deal. Same with Marvin Williams. But all the, but Jeremy Lamb's going to be a free agent after next year, and then just all of those market value deals start to add up as we've seen with the Heat now. So I, I think the next time we do this at the halfway mark, I, I, Horn, the Hornets better have picked, like, I'm not talking like an identity direction, a franchise direction, whether it's really yeah. go all in on this season again or, or start to sell off. All right, you're going to pick the next one. Oh, this is fun. Um, You know, since I mentioned them, let's go with the Indiana Pacers. I don't think that anyone predicted 25 games through the season, the Pacers would have the sixth best offense in the NBA. No. They they have just been astounding to me. And the the even more like in, incredible thing is they don't take shots necessarily that make you think they're going to be a good offense. And you know I'm a big shot profile guy. And right now, uh, Indiana is 24th in percentage of shots combined coming at the rim and from the three-point line. The, and the only teams that, like that are getting less of those, a smaller share of their looks from those distances, are the Spurs, Wizards, Knicks, Timberwolves, and Kings. And the Wizards, uh, excuse me, the Timberwolves are the only team of that bunch that are like truly in the top 10 of offensive efficiency right now. So, th- So that's kind of mind-boggling to me. But they just have... You know, they probably could stand to shoot some more threes, but they just have guys who are who are shooting the lights out from downtown. Like, it's absolutely absurd. Uh, Bogdanovitz, Corey Joseph, TJ Leaf, Domantas Sabonis, and Victor Oladipo are all canning at least 40% of their three-pointers. Darren Collison, Miles Turner, and Thaddeus Young are all above 35%. Lance Tomlinson, uh, excuse me, wow. Lance Stevenson <laughs> uh, has been a reasonable three-point shooter as an over 30%. And listen to this, only the Warriors 
and the Utah Jazz are hitting a higher percentage of their catch and shoot threes right now. That I may, I guess we have to. Uh, and the Warriors it's sustainable. And Jazz have the the two greatest shooters of all time. Joe Seven Ingles is on Joe pace Ingles. to have one of the best high volume uh, three point three point seasons in NBA history. FYI, he's amazing. Yeah, uh, uh, every shot he takes, I just expect to go in. <laughs> um, and I, speaking of Oladipo, he first of all, let me get to Sabonis really quick. He just goes through stretches where he decides not to miss. I always feel like he's seven of seven or something ridiculous. Yeah, it's just. Uh, and then Oladipo has morphed into one of the NBA's best tough shot makers. He is shooting better than 46% on pull-up threes. That's the third best mark among 56 players who have attempted at least 30 or more pull-up trays. And there are four players who are averaging more than 1.1 points per isolation possession, minimum 45 touches in those situations. Tyreek Evans, which, wow, James Harden, LeBron James, and Victor Oladipo. And you just factor in the body of work that he's been able to do in transition, that the Pacers are really good uh, at getting out on the break. I, I think there's only like, I don't know, two or three teams that are getting a larger share of their offense in transition. All that stuff just adds up to this good offense, and I have no choice, it seems, but to give them a B plus. Like, I know they're not that far over 500. I know they just barely beat the Bulls the night before we're recording this, but when you look at um, basketball rating, simple rating system, which ranks teams according to point differential and strength of schedule, they have the Pacers build as a top 10 team in the league. Like, this is not, they didn't win the Paul George trade. You don't win those trades, but like, wow. So I'm just, I've just been, while, while I, some of the stuff is going to fall back down to earth, like there's certain three point shooters and their shot selection, I do think is going to have to give a little bit at some point, but it just, it looks like their offense might be for real. And if you're going to have a top seven offense in the East and their defense isn't very good, I don't see a path to them getting better really either. They're 19th in points allowed um, per 100 possession and they're, they're good at limiting opponent free throw attempts, which might help them stay around 15th. But if you're going to have an average or slightly below average defense in the East while while posting elite offensive marks, you're going to contend for probably a top five seed. Yeah, so Victor Oladipo has been, been just been insane, if I can get that sentence out. Um, I'm going to tout a lukewarm tank that I had from June 30th on Twitter. Um <laughs> As bad as the East is, Oladipo and Turner might still make the playoffs. And I'm feeling much, much better uh, about that very uh, passive tweet that I sent out in June. Um, so you said they didn't win the Paul George trade, and I, I probably agree with you. But I'm also not sure that they lost it. They didn't uh-huh. get hosed. Yeah. That's... Like Victor Oladipo, just objectively speaking, has been the best player in that trade this season, at least to this point. Like, you can say Paul George is a better basketball player, but to this point, uh, based on what both guys have done, it's it's Victor Oladipo. And Demonis Sabonis, like you said, has been amazing too. There was a stretch, um, maybe the first, like, 10, 15 games of the season, I think his true shooting percentage was, like, close to 70. Like you said, he just seemed like he never missed. Um, his, like, points, rebounds, and assists profile – is in the same like general neighborhood as Nikola Jokic, which is insane. Uh, having having a big man who passes just changes everything 
in my mind. I, I just love passing big men. Um, wow, so you really don't like Rudy Gobert, huh? <laughs> hey, he, he throws some nice no-lookers. He's like one of those guys that will like look away after he throws it. Um, I call that the Will Barton. <laughs> yeah, he does that a lot too. Victor Oladipo, um, he is currently 16th in the NBA and wins over a replacement player. The only guards in the Eastern Conference who are ahead of him are Kyrie Irving and Kyle Lowry. And we could, depending on how you want to define Ben Simmons, he's, he's ahead of Victor Oladipo too. Um, so arguably one of the best guards in the East. It's just, it's, I can't say it enough. He's been unreal. I think Darren Collison has quietly been really good too. Miles Turner is, it's taken him a little bit of time to find his offense this season, but defensively they're, they're a different and better team when he's on the floor. I, there's, there's a lot of good things, uh, happening with this team. I don't know if we got your grade for them. I gave him a B plus. That's exactly what I gave him too. Um, Yo, look at us in lockstep, two of two. Yeah, unless you have anything else on them, I'm going to jump to our next team. I'm excited. Um, give me a moment. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the Celtics. Um, and my grade is an A plus for them. I believe they still have. If they don't have the best record, they're tied with Houston in the loss column. Am I right? I, they they have the best record. It's by they just have a bunch more wins. They've played they've played a bunch more games right now. Okay, so they are actually second in the Eastern Conference in net rating, um, but not far behind the the Toronto Raptors. But obviously, like we said, I think I said this in the last podcast too. Uh, wins and losses is is the ultimate measure, of course. For them to be twenty two and four after they started zero and two, first of all. Um, <laughs> That injury to Gordon Hayward in like the first quarter of the first game of the season, I mean, there isn't like a tougher way to start a season. That was that was one of the biggest free agent signings that team has ever had. Right. Uh, he was poised. I mean, he seemed like a perfect fit. The whole Brad Stevens reuniting with, with Gordon Hayward narrative. I mean, it was all about Hayward this season. Um, that's not true. It was it was all about Hayward and Irving because the, the Kyrie Irving trade was obviously huge too. But to lose that guy in the first game, it just it just seemed like they're done. And we, we did a, a basket brawl episode for NBA Math, and I think both of us adjusted their over-under to the 40s. I think I said like 40 and a half, and you said maybe like 44 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they're obviously way, way, way ahead of that pace right. that we kind of expected from them. 22 and 4, like I've said a couple times. The wings, the young wings, Jalen Brown, second year, Jason Tatum, first year, have been both really, really good. Jason Tatum leading the NBA in three-point percentage at 51.9 is just absurd. Every time I check a box score for the Celtics or watch like a half of their game, it just seems like he never misses. Um, that just blows me away. Al Horford, for at least the first like 10, 15 games, was Boston's best player. I, I love the way they run the offense through him. He's become a better rebounder, which was, you know, the big criticism on him in Atlanta and over last year in Boston. There's just so many things working right. Brad Stevens is obviously a wizard. I, I think a lot of people are talking about D'Antoni and Popovich now for coach of the year, but Stevens should very much be in that conversation still. I'm pretty sure they still have the best defense in the NBA too, which is not easy to achieve when you're playing four or five guys who are rookies or second year players rotation minutes. Um, and you turned just over doing... like two thirds of your roster over the off season. Yeah. It's like a completely new team. It, all this, all these things um, 
are factors that would suggest a team is going to be bad. Not that they're going to be one of the best in the league and have the best defense. And I, I wish I could remember who made this point, but somebody said maybe Brad Stevens is like perfectly equipped for this because you have a lot of roster turnover every year in college. So maybe maybe he was a little bit more equipped to handle it than guys who've only had NBA experience. But anyway, long story short, I've just I've been so impressed with this team. They're really really good. They've they've more than convinced me over the course of the win streak and since then. And and I went with an A plus, like I said. I'm going with an A plus 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 because <laughs> I I just I mean the you laid it out with the Gordon Hayward case. Like I wasn't necessarily high on this team even with Hayward because of all that roster turnover. And I wasn't necessarily sure that Kyrie Irving was the greatest fit for them, uh, particularly with Hayward. Uh, that'll be interesting to watch next year, how they integrate those two. But I think now you have to take the blind faith benefit of the doubt stance and just assume it's going to be great. But they've been, like, even the most un- by even the most uncalled for expectations, they've just been absolutely sensational. And in the clutch, they're, like, crazy good. They're leading the league 13-4. and four. Um, when neither team is trailing by more or leading by more than five points in the final five minutes. Jalen Brown owns the NBA's second highest crunch time plus minus. And Kyrie Irving shooting over 60% in the clutch. Jason Tatum is shooting 63.2% in the clutch. Out of 60-something players that have attempted at least 12 shots, that ranks first. Jason Tatum That's leading crazy. the NBA in crunch time field goal percentage. Um According to NBA Maths, defensive point saved. I'm gonna start now. I'm gonna start getting random just to try and prove like how ridiculous this is. Daniel Tice, rookie Daniel Tice. Tice I was hoping you would say that he saved more points on the defensive end than Dwight Howard. <laughs> Semi Ojale is just like a ridiculous, a general nuisance. Marcus Smart owns the best net rating among every Boston player to appear in more than two games, despite laying enough bricks to rebuild the Empire State Building. Al Horford, like you said, had to be a candidate for Defensive Player of the Year early on. I think you still throw him in there. Kyrie Irving is having the defensive performance of his life, and even one, people were pointing this out at the beginning of the season that one of his flaws on the defensive end, too, was that he still helps when you're quote-unquote one pass away so that he's leaving a guy open who can get off a shot quickly. Even that has improved since then. I'm just like... The, the Celtics are scoring like a top six offense when Kyrie Irving's on the floor, which kind of puts to bed the notion that uh, he can't lead in a, a quality offense without LeBron James. And this is this is what gets me, too. He leads the team uh, leading into that game against the Mavericks. He led the team in deflections per 36 minutes, Kyrie Irving. Like— yeah, I think Marcus Smart might have the edge on him now. He does. I just looked it up. But now Kyrie Irving is second, and he like. But it's just Brad Stevens is like to me by far and away coach of the year right now, and I don't know that it's particularly close. Uh, the Celtics have just been spectacular, and they deserve an A plus 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 plus. The Cavaliers are still the favorites in the East, in my opinion, because the question I always come back to is how do you beat LeBron James four times in seven tries? And the answer is you need to be the Warriors. And yeah. the Celtics just aren't the Warriors right now. But, but like, man, uh, th- the only thing worth monitoring for me— um, Oh, and the other random note, and I'm at fault and guilty of this, Marcus, Smorit, Marcus Morris excuse me, is just living proof that quality defensive rebounding wings— 
can't play alongside Andre Drummond. I thought he was, I just wasn't impressed by his defensive rebounding effort in Detroit. And it's, it has to be by design where not only does Drummond gobble up all those rebounds, but you're not even going to try and get them because he's gobbling up so much. Yeah. And Look now at what Mar- happened to Avery Bradley's rebounding numbers. Right. Last, and year. so, and Marcus Morris is second in defensive rebounding percentage for a team that ranks fourth or fifth in defensive rebounding percentage overall one year after ranking in the bottom five. Just everything about this team is incredible. The one note I have is that for all the people who think they're going to go after Kumpo eventually or Anthony Davis or they're just waiting for that next top, let's say, 15 superstar uh, to reach the trade block, they're going to need to overpay someone this summer to do that because as we pointed out um, on the one of the previous podcasts, Jason Tatum is their fourth highest paid player right now, and you – to, to like cobble together all that salary to acquire a star, unless you're going to give up Hayward, Irving, or Horford, which I don't necessarily think you want to do in that situation, you're going to have to combine all these different pieces um, just to make a splash. So maybe it's Marcus Smart. Mar- I can't talk today, Andy. It tells me, maybe it's Marcus well, Smart. Morris, Morris and Smart goes together pretty well. Marcus yeah. Smart. So may- but maybe it's Marcus Smart this summer in restricted free agency. You overpay him just to have like a – like a nice trade chip. Like, what if you just yeah. maxed him out for two two years? Like, I don't know if that's a nice trade right. chip. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. So like, what, but what if you gave him, like, would he sign like a two year, uh, twenty five or something like that? Yeah, I mean, you might even have to go three thirty six if you're going to do that. Would he sign like two years and thirty? Like, could you get away with that? Uh, the Amir Johnson deal, we could call it basically, just to sue, or maybe you overpay Terry Rozier. Uh, when he's a restricted free agent in 2019, or you overpay Marcus Morris a little bit when he's a free agent in 2019 as well. That's going to be something to monitor with them. But otherwise, their future and present are just collective aces. Yeah, I've been, like I said, very, very impressed with that team. You've got the next one for us. Um, Let's go to, can we just get the Bulls out of the way? Very <laughs> sounds so enthusiastic about the Bulls. They yeah, let's do it. They're scoring ninety six point one points per one hundred possessions, which leaves about a two point gap between them and the twenty ninth place Sacramento Kings. And like, I just you know that's kind of ridiculous. Just and like for context, the twentieth ranked Charlotte Hornets and the 27th-ranked Miami Heat are separated by less than two points per 100 possessions. So that's Jeez. that's how bad um, the Bulls have been on offense this year. I don't know what else you could expect, though, which is why my grade for them ultimately ends up at a C. You don't have Zach Levine. I, I don't know. I, I might even go C-minus because of the Bobby portis Nikola Mirotic stuff. Like yeah, the, that's bad. This front office is a disaster. I'm still not ready to sell out Fred Hoiberg, though. Lori Markinen has been good. Chris Dunn has been really good. He looks like he might give them a prospect uh, for the future at that point guard position. And so now they don't really have to kind of. He's, he's been maybe their most impressive player to me this season. I'm, I go back and forth between him and Markinen. It's I, I think I've said this before. Go look up uh, Dirk Nowitzki's sophomore per 36 minute performance yeah. and compare it to uh, Lori's rookie per 36 minute performance. And it's just that I find it very interesting. Uh, but, but yes, Dunn has been fantastic. And now, you know, the, the offshoot of that with Dunn kind of improving as a passer and a shooter uh, is that you don't have to 
force Zach Levine into this heavy playmaking role, which is when he comes back, which is going to be good for him. We'll have to see how they integrate Miritich. Their defense isn't very good either. Robin Lopez is probably a guy they just need to keep around because I don't think the trade market for him will be very high, and he's he's also a good presence to have in the locker room. I, I just I can't go. I'm going to ultimately go with a C minus. I'm changing it now from a C to a C minus because their front office front office is like a piece. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't know what else they gave Fred Hoiberg the worst roster in the NBA, and he's coaching them towards the worst record in the NBA. And we talked about him maybe being on the hot seat. The only way for me that that makes some semblance of sense is one if the players truly don't respect him and I I think it'd be a little bit hard to find that now when you're dealing with one of the NBA's five youngest teams or two if Gar Foreman and John Paxson are trying to kind of enhance their own job stability by kind of saying oh well you know we just we're gonna have to hire a new coach and you really have to give this rebuild a fair shake so come talk to us again in five years or something like that so I, while you were talking, I was tempted to change their grade from a D minus to an F. Um, <laughs> I stuck with D minus because, like you said, there we really couldn't have expected much more than this from from this team this season. Um, there are a few things that make me think, unless they are deliberately trying to lose, you just can't do some of the stuff that they're doing. Um, and I know a lot of tanking teams will say. We're, we're going out there and we're competing every night. We don't want to lose. But Justin Holiday leading your team in field goal attempts at 13.3, um, that to me is evidence that you want to lose. He's shooting 36.6% from the field. Paul Zipser still getting uh, rotation minutes at this point, starting seven games. He is, uh, I think, objectively the worst player in the NBA. I haven't run the numbers in like a week, but you can take pretty much every catch-all metric – from around the internet, uh, NBA maths, total points added, box plus minus, win shares per 48, ESPN's real plus minus. He's like dead last in everything, and he's still playing 17 minutes a game. He's shooting 32% from the field and 27% from three. And you might ask, well, who else do they play? I, I'd say play Denzel Valentine 35 minutes. He's been, um, but Denzel he's, Valentine's he's shooting, been good at points too. Yeah, I was going to say he's been solid, but he's shooting less than 40% from the field too, so maybe there really aren't any other options. Um like I said, when you were talking, Chris Dunn's probably been the most impressive guy to me. Um, I, I have a habit of jumping off the bandwagon on young guys way too quick, and I think I did that with Dunn last year. Um, this season, he's averaging 12 points, uh, five rebounds and five assists, basically, shooting 44% from the field and 44% from three. He's, he's a different player than he was last season. Laurie Markkinen was super impressive to me in the beginning part of the year. But he's, he's hit more than a rookie wall. It's like a rookie fortress all of a sudden. In his last nine games, he's shooting 31% from the yeah. field and 27% from three. I would expect some kind of a bounce back um, from him because I, I do believe in, in what he was doing early on in the season. But uh, And ultimately, the other thing I was going to mention, is, and you did mention it, was the whole Bobby Portis, Nikola Miritich situation was – that's about as big a mess as I've seen in a training camp since I've followed the NBA closely. Um, I, I looked up the injury and I can't remember what it's called now. Um, but that specific bone in a, in a person's face, breaking that is like life threatening. <laughs> and Bobby Portis sat out what, six games or something for that. And then I don't, I still don't know like the full background of it, but I, I just feel like that was so horribly mishandled and maybe it'll all be fine in the end if, if 
Miritich, he's back sooner than I expected him. And um, Friday, you know, when this publishes, I think he'll be debuting Friday. Yeah, everybody's saying the right thing, so maybe I'm making more of it than I should. But um, there's just there's just so many things with this team that are kind of weird to me. But like like I said, I can't really fail them because this is uh, this is kind of what we should have expected. Well, can we just? I, I would like to note that a D minus is failing. Like I'm sorry, America, but like a, a D minus is failing. It's failing. Um, We're going to have to get some like responses on that because I feel like a D passes in some places, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, you should probably send out a live podcast poll on Twitter right now or something. <laughs> um, so two, three quick notes on them, actually. The, well, someone's getting – Miritich is probably – he should demand a trade closer to January when his free agency restriction is going to lift because it's like you said. That, that injury was a pretty serious one, and he can say the right things, but I saw Casey Johnson at the Chicago Tribune – uh, wrote today that even though they there was that picture of them fist bumping on the bench, even though Miritich says he's not mad at anyone, even though he says he's accepted Portis's apology, they still haven't really hashed it out, and you just can't have that in the locker room. Miritich uh, at is he he's going to be twenty seven, right? So he's not he doesn't yeah he was kind of an older rookie when he came over, right? So he's not going to factor in to your future um, when he turned he turns twenty seven in, in February, just after his trade restriction lifts, probably just. He's... He's somebody who could help a contender too. I, I think he'd be an interesting like first big off somebody's bench. I would like to kind of see him on the Blazers a little bit to change up their that would be their really interesting look like a picture yeah. Noah Vonley but good on offense. You know, yeah. Um, so, uh, so I, something that's gonna break there. The other thing um, is is actually a semi serious one. Like Chris Dunn, I I want to see if his three point shooting is going to hold uh, because. Excuse me, 39 of his 41 three-point attempts have been have come uh, open or wide open this season. Like so defenders are or excuse me, 44 of his three-point attempts uh have been open or wide open this year. 37 of his 44 three-point attempts have just been completely wide open and he's shooting about 46% in those situations. They're basically defenses are Andre Robertsering him or yeah, Ricky Rubio him, him and yeah. If he's going to keep hitting those, they're going to adjust. But we've seen, uh, we've even seen Marcus Smart go through these like hotter stretches when defenses are going to ban- abandon him, usually in the playoffs. So I'd like to see if that holds. And the final thing I'll say is it's hysterical that they gave Cristiano Felicio $32 million over the summer to average under five points per game. That's just, yeah. I, I find that hysterical. And we need to call out NBA Math's, co- uh, NBA Math's founder and editor in chief. Adam Frommel, who thought that that was a good deal and predicted Cristiano Felicio would be a breakout <laughs> player because he has not been. And if you're not going to break out on this roster, it's not happening. It's amazing how many big guys um, have earned millions and millions of dollars just for being big. I'll always remember the Sagana job contract from from the Mavericks. Uh, what, did they also pay Eric Dampier too? That was the Dampier right? contract was crazy too. <laughs> uh, I think I've got the next one. I am going to go – I think this was my next lowest grade. Actually, the Hornets were my next lowest, and this was the next lowest after them. The Heat, who I'm giving a D-plus to. Um, this is another team that I was kind of expecting more from this season, like I said, with the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, this is kind of proving the theory right that it's about it's more about what you do over the course of the entire season mm-hmm. than what you do at the end of the season, and that's – what I was kind of 
uh, leaning on with with my optimism with Miami was that thirty one and nine closing kick or whatever it was. I I just thought all those pieces fit together pretty well. Maybe Justice Winslow takes a step forward. Uh, it turns out that. <laughs> A lot of those sort of middle of the road players that they signed to big deals are middle of the road players, um, and and maybe they're closer to the team that they were in the first half of the season than the second half. Uh, my one note on them, I found this in my daily uh, stat thread this morning. So there's 286 players qualified for the minutes leaderboard. Tyler Johnson is 100. He, he's in the bottom 170. He's in the bottom like 100 in every major catch-all metric. Dion Waiters is in like the bottom 20 of every catch-all. Waiters uh, has been fire in crunch time, though. That's the only time he decides like, to make shots. Somebody somebody made a uh, pretty funny reply to me the other day. It was like, maybe they should just play Waiters the last five minutes of every game. It's <laughs> first 43. Yeah. Because I mean, he's, he's dreadful at every other point in the game. Um, they're paying Tyler Johnson almost $40 million over the next two years. And they're playing Waiters almost $40 million over the next three years. Uh, they are... Unless they can make a trade, which is feasible, um, they're tied into a roster that that might be like borderline ninth, tenth place. Yeah, I I agree with everything you said there. They need to. If I was them, I would look to try and sell off on Justice Winslow now because I don't I don't really know that he's going to be able to help them. The fact that they have one of the four lowest free throw rates in the league, despite having all these quote-unquote drivers like Dragic or should be Johnson or Waiters or even James Johnson. And Tyler Johnson's going to make more than Goran Dragic starting next season for two years. That's going to be it's a problem. crazy. And I think you look at him and then you look at Waiters and then you look at James Johnson a little bit who's been up and down this season. It's possible they're going to end up having three of the worst contracts in the league on their books. And that's going to make moving forward from here really difficult. Getting Hassan Whiteside back from his knee injury – I will, I guess, help the defense, but they're, like defense isn't their primary problem. He's going to make them an above-average defensive team. They've been spectacular on defense with him on the floor, but their offense has been crap, and it's just been crap in general throughout this year, and I don't know that they have the tools to become buyers at the trade deadline, which is going to be a major concern for them. And I think both of us had them penciled in pretty much as a playoff formality at the beginning of the year. Maybe they still yeah, get there. Yeah, I was there real confident. Because they, they could still go. They went on the stretch last year, uh, a tear. So maybe they could do that again this year. You, you really never know. But they need to do something on the offensive end. They're, they're taking the right shots, but they need guys to hit like a higher percentage of their threes. If you really look right now, and I'm not including Hassan Whiteside, who's just randomly two of two from beyond the arc this year, by the way, spectacular. Um, <laughs> They just have like they they don't have any high volume like really above average guys beside Elling, Wayne Ellington, Ellington and yeah. Dragic. Like their best, like look at their. So let me name Hassan Whiteside, Kelly Olynyk, James Johnson, and O'Carl White all rank in the top six of top six of three point percentage on the Heat. And like that's not you know Johnson takes them enough, and so does Olynyk. I get, but like that's not okay. So. Uh, this team, it would be great if they could have someone who basically blended like Justice Winslow's uh, defense with Deion Waiters' crunch time offense. That's that, that's the player that this team needs. You know who leads that team in box plus minus? I do, but I'm going to let you say because I'm actually I was looking was, at their page before. Yeah, it was James Johnson for most of the year, but I just checked it while we were talking, and Olenek. it's now Kelly, Kelly Olynyk. Johnson's um, been weird because I feel like when I watch him. 
it, he hasn't been good, but then I'll look at the numbers and I'm like, you know, yeah, I, I'd like him. Uh, his turnover percentage is still his, way too high. Yeah. His scoring hasn't been quite as consistent as it was at the end of last year, but he, he still gets all the like ancillary stuff. Um, but like you said, the turnovers are up, but he, he'll usually get you some assists and rebounds and blocks and steals. That's why his, his number is up there with the box plus minus. Oh, and the, wait, the one final note on them is James Johnson, Kelly Olenek, and even more problematic, uh, or no, James Johnson and Kelly Olenek have higher turnover rates than they do usage rates, which is not, you know, well, that's not Yeah, okay. that's not ideal. <laughs> So does Josh Richardson while we're at it. And yeah, so um, like that's not that's he's that's another pretty... guy that I thought would take a step forward this year, and he's he's just been objectively not very good. So does Bam, by the way. So they like, and he's played some minutes this year, coughing it up a lot. Um, I... So that would so you gave them a D plus. Yes, I gave them a C minus. Okay. Um, are you ready to talk about the Let's go Washington Wizards. All right, let's do it. They're barely in the Eastern Conference playoff picture right now. They're they're 13 and 11. I know John Wall has missed time, which is, you know, kind of a red flag unto itself. Uh they I I don't know if they need to shake up at the trade deadline or they're just going to get better once Wall returns. They're still kind of treading water, uh 10th in points scored. 100 possessions their defense is 11th in points allowed per 100 possessions so they're like in this weird sweet spot but uh i, I don't know like it's just you watch them and, and they don't look like the real deal like they just don't look they don't look like it right now and they've been linked loosely to deandre jordan i don't know if that's a trade that they should be interested in um, they have some really potent lineups when they're fully healthy and, and you kind of run with Gortat in the middle and using Kelly Oubre uh, and Otto Porter and then Beal and Wall or Mark Keith Morris. You mix and match, and those have always been good, but the bench still isn't really spectacular. Uh, Scott Brooks has tried some different things uh, where Kelly Oubre at one point was leading these all-bench lineups, which just, you know, that wasn't working. Kelly Oubre has been good. I've been uh, kind of impressed by him. Markeith Morris continues to be that sort of up-and-down player. Yeah, he's uh, really inconsistent. Right, uh, particularly on the defensive end, where it just seems like if he's not get, getting— he's probably been better on the defensive end this year than the offensive end, but if he's not like involved on offense, it seems like he's just not going to give it to you. Um, on defense either so I, I don't know I've, I really like Thomas Sadoransky he's had like some random just awesome moments and I'm, I'm a firm believer in him still and he might be because you have him under contract through next year maybe that's why you can think about using Kelly Oubre as DeAndre Jordan trade bait who looks spectacular against the Timberwolves on Wednesday night by the way and the trade I'll throw out here because I threw it out um, in the previous podcast was if you give up Jan Mahimi Jason Smith, the 2019 first-round pick, and Kelly Oubre for DeAndre Jordan and Lou Williams. That's a trade that I think the Wizards have to consider because they could really, you know, DeAndre Jordan just gives you a little bit. Uh, you move Marcin Gortat to the bench, and you know you're paying him for a couple more years. He's instantly probably the best backup big in the league, and DeAndre Jordan gives you something different defensively and and has a rebounder. And then Lou Williams is just huge for uh, your creativity off the bench. I mean, picture running Lou Williams. Marcin Gortat and Kelly Oubre Jr. in your second unit. That would be... If, you, if they could swing something like that, they would instantly be um, 
like a top three contender, I'd say in the East. I I, 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 I like that trade a lot. Um, I'm also, excuse me, I'm also kind of wondering, is their offense going to hold? I I mean, like, let's forget about like John Wall uh, not playing right now, but they're taking like not enough shots at the rim and uh, from three-point range combined, especially from three-point range, they need to be jacking more. They are 26th in combined uh, share of shots coming at the rim and from beyond the arc. And this was after last year where they had that better shot profile. So you've regressed on that front, and I just wonder how long they'll be able to kind of prop up that top 10 offense. Yeah, I actually went with a – okay, tell me your grade on them again. I, I don't know if I missed it. I went I went C minus just because I understand and the really quick explanation would be I understand that John Wall hasn't been playing but at like this point when you have Bradley Beal and Otto Porter it it just it seems like it should be better. Yeah, I have him at a C plus, um, so same general range I guess. Um, they're currently fourth in the Eastern Conference in in net rating. They're they're plus one point eight points per hundred possessions. Um, I, the reason I'm giving him a higher grade, I think, is is what you already mentioned, John Wall being hurt. I, I think I gave him a pretty big pass for that. They've been quite a bit worse since he's gone down, understandably so. Uh, and I think the main thing that you can point to as, as the reason for their struggles, and it was the same last year, is the bench. Um, when Bill Porter and Wall are on the floor, they're outscoring teams by 12 points per 100 possessions. They're the main guys are doing fine. Uh, I think Otto Porter is more than living up to that contract that he had. Um, he's shooting 47% from three so this good. season. It's just crazy, yeah. His defense uh, has been I've, great, too. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen him uh, hit, like, dribble pull-up threes in transition now. Like, um, he has evolved so much as a shooter over the course of, this, of, of his career. Bradley Beal just had a 50-point game the other night, or 51 I don't remember exactly what it was. 51, yeah. If, if they could beef up that bench uh, like you talked about, that's a scary team. Um, I don't know if they can – you think they can pull off a deal like that without giving up Kelly Oubre? Maybe I, I mean, if it's just Jordan and you're not getting rid of Jan Mahimi, but then yeah. you're probably getting rid of Jason Smith and Marcin Gortat. So I don't I, I don't honestly know. think they're probably better – they're still probably a little bit better if they have to give up Ubre and they get Lou Williams and DeAndre Jordan back. Lou Williams has been spectacular. Rid- and having his bird rights for this summer, that might be valuable too. He's been so good for off the bench for three or four years now. Um, and that's one of the, the main things they've lacked is somebody who can sort of keep the offensive uh, flow going when, when Bradley Beal or John Wall has to sit. So that would, that would be a huge, huge difference for me. I, I still went with the C plus instead of something higher because I do feel like that the talent in that top three um, should be better than what are they right now? 11, 13 and 11. Right. Uh, I just, I just felt like they would be more firmly in the playoff picture at this point in the season. And maybe they will in a few weeks, but Right now, that that record, that close to 500, just feels like a slight underachievement to me. The crux of my C-minus kind of lies with, so um, over the last 10 games, uh, Bradley Beal, Tim Frazier, Gortat, Morris, and Otto Porter, so the starting lineup minus Wall, but with Tim Frazier, they made eight appearances, played 137 minutes. They're scoring under 100 points per 100 possessions. Like, you you have Bradley Beal in there. You have Markeith Morris, who's supposed to be kind of a nice off-the-bounce guy at points. Even Otto Porter... 
as well. And but the Beal thing is bigger to me, and that's where my C minus comes from. Is like that lineup should be able to. They've been good defensively. That lineup should be able to float your offense. The positive note I will say is while I'm not crazy when Scott Brooks goes all bench, um, over the past ten games, an all bench unit of Mahimi, Meeks, Ubre, Sedaransky, and Mike Scott has made six appearances, logged forty seven minutes is scoring almost 107 points per 100 possessions and allowing under 100 points per 100 possessions. So, like, maybe there's some – Mike Scott has always been like, oh, this guy can play basketball. His decision-making is awesome time. We love Kelly Oubre Jr. Mahimi's okay as a rim runner and protector when he's healthy, and I'm still still on the Sadoransky bandwagon, and he might be the guy just because you know Oubre Jr. is going to be extension eligible this year and that you're going to have to pay him within a summer. But Sandoransky, at his price point next season, maybe he's the reason that you can talk yourself into moving Ubre as part of a bigger deal. But if I'm the Clippers, I would consider a deal built around um, Gortat, Jason Smith, and a 2019 first for DeAndre Jordan. I think you have to add more salary in there, but I'd yeah. consider it if I were them. It's it's definitely time for them to blow it up. Um, all right, I think we're back to me. Before I... Before I reveal what team I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a quick update on our poll. Oh, you did it. I didn't even yeah. see it. Uh, 15 minutes in, we've got 240 votes. The question is, is a D failing or passing? 52% say fail, 48% say pass. That's still 50 So right 50, now you have, you have a marginal lead. 52% is still not enough. So this is... Uh... James Hansen at Hampson James says D's to degrees, baby. Uh, <laughs> Mark Russell Pereira says it's passing, but any grading system worth a crap doesn't use them. Um, All right, then. <laughs> it's technically passing depending on the level of schooling, but I consider it a fail. Jose Samaniego. So uh, I know you were all dying to hear an update on that. Um, Actually, that I think out, I'm happy that you did it. <laughs> with that out of the way, I'm going to move us on to the Milwaukee Bucks. So I, I this is another one I almost changed the grade while talking um and live right now i'm gonna go ahead and change it i had him at a c plus i'm bumping him up to a b minus um generous today i get yeah i kind of felt like that when i was doing when i was laying these all out actually i was like am i being too nice uh anyway i get all the criticism with jason kidd their defensive system is at this point it it's like flat out stupid everybody knows what they're doing (laughs) And they continue to do it. It's just crazy. And and coaches and players are even like talking about it in interviews. They're like, we know what they're going to do, and we're exploiting it. Um, so to keep like pounding your head against that wall is crazy to me. But um, I think Yanni Antetokounmpo is. I, I think it's probably safe to say he's been one of the five best players in the league this year. Um, since they made the Eric Bledsoe trade, when Bledsoe. Anadokounmpo and Middleton are on the floor. They're outscoring opponents by 14.3 points per 100 possessions. So that group is is very much working. Um, I'm very curious to see what Jabari Parker looks like when he gets back and how he'll fit with that group. And maybe they're – so they're another team that's been rumored to be interested in DeAndre Jordan. What, what would that look like? Um, I asked this on Twitter the other day, but a lineup of Bledsoe – Middleton, Anadokounmpo, Parker, and DeAndre Jordan. Like, is that enough to seriously push the Cavaliers? I, I honestly don't know where I would stand on that. I, I would probably say no, and that's what most of the responses said too. But that's a really interesting group to me. I think there's there are a lot of things 
to like about what this team's doing. So I went ahead and gave them a B minus. You're a kinder man than I am. I went ahead and gave them a C minus in large part because it's like you, you kind of need to adjust that defensive system already. They're 12th in points allowed per 100 possessions since the Bledsoe trade, which is fine. But when you're going to also hover out just outside the top 10 in offensive efficiency during that time, like it just I, I get it. You're forcing turnovers, but you're according to cleaning the glass, they're 30th in frequency of field goal attempts allowed at the rim on defense like mm. that's just that's like almost 39 percent of their opponent shots are coming at the rim that's the yeah, highest that's bad. mark that's bad <laughs> and that's, that's what happens when you blitz pick and rolls the way they do i don't know how they don't see that right and how does this team not play faster is my other question yeah you got to get Giannis running as much as you can and 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 on the chances that they've been like kind of running they haven't been especially good so they're they're fourth in pace, according to Impredictable, after a defensive rebound, but they're 20th in offensive efficiency in those situations. So it's like even when they're getting out on the run, they're just not doing enough, and their, their whole half-court offense isn't anything spectacular. They need to—I I, I get the interest in DeAndre Jordan, and he probably helps you with your rim problem because the Clippers, despite having a shitty defense, they have a pretty good shot profile at the defensive end. I, but you need to, and maybe maybe they have the personnel to do this, particularly when Parker comes back. But like, shoot the damn ball from three. Like, just shoot more threes. Like, I, yeah. I get it. You need Atentacumpo to do his thing, but but shoot more threes. Like that. That's just that's where I'm at with them. You should. This team should not be 22nd in three point attempt rate. It just it shouldn't. You have Middleton. You have Brogdon. Eric Bledsoe can can kind of shoot um you know Atentacupo might need to just take the Marcus Smart approach and just fire away anyway you're a floor spacer in that regard I'm not impressed with anything they've done and so much of their success seems founded upon Atentacupo can just do make something out of nothing and I just don't (laughs) does this does this feel at all like a team that's the right coach away from being really good like I don't want to say they're the next Warriors but like the Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr upgrade was obviously massive i wonder if somebody else could unlock this this group and send them to another level i i agree i actually think that that's a great way to put it and yes because if you put i I, if you put brad stevens like as the coach of this team they're yeah this team objectively has more like honor de is more talented than anybody well maybe not more like purely talented Kyrie, but he's the best player in either group I, I'm right there with you. So they, they if Kid doesn't make some adjustments, they kind of need a new coach. And one of the things, like, maybe if you get DeAndre Jordan, it forces you to run some more pick and rolls too. Like, I, I honestly don't know. Like, shoot more threes, run more – like, just do more stuff. Like, do, do yeah. something different. That's where I'm at with the Bucks, and I'm pretty sure Bucks Twitter might agree with me. Don't they tend to be a pessimistic they, bunch of Jason I was going to say, they, they, uh, they're more negative about Jason Kidd than I was just now. <laughs> they can't stand that guy. Um so All right, I, I think, think we're you have the me, next right? one. Yeah. So I'm going to go with the Toronto Raptors, who okay. I think deserve an A. Um, okay. I mean, just look at where they are in the East. They have the third best record, and Kyle Lowry wasn't good for part of the season. They dealt with an injury to Norman Powell. Their front court rotation is just so weird. Like, you're getting good minutes from Siakam and Pirtle, and uh, you're not relying on Jonas Valanciunas as much. Uh, OG Ananobi has been spectacular, and Dwayne Casey has bought in hard 
to like their new offensive identity. 70.6% of their shots are coming at the rim and from beyond the three-point line. That ties them with the Cavaliers for for the fifth most share in the NBA. Like that's that's big time considering we know um, how poor they were at this last season and even just in seasons past. Their free throw rate has taken a little bit of a hit as a result, but you know w- whatever. Uh, you still have, excuse me, one of the best offenses in the NBA. Your fourth in points scored per 100 possessions, and the defense has been. Sneaky good. Ninth in points allowed per 100 possessions. And the big thing is, is leaving Ananobi in the starting lineup, that resulting unit has not been good defensively overall, but they're really starting to come around over the last, like, 10 games or so because he just, that Serge Ibaka, Valanciunas front court is probably one of the least versatile defensive front courts in the league. Like, Ibaka can't switch. Mm-hmm. Valanciunas isn't a good rim protector, and Ananobi kind of helps offset that. And then you can just run him in these other lineups. The the, self, uh, the Raptors are defending like one of the league's best unit when it, whenever Ananobi's on the floor. And I looked this up yesterday because I was ranking like surprises we just didn't see coming, and I had Ananobi fourth um, on that list of my top fifteen surprises. He more than ninety percent of his looks are coming within three feet or beyond the arc. More than half of his total attempts have been catch-and-shoot threes, which he's burying 44% of the time. He just fits for this team, and, and he's been spectacular. And it's just another reminder at, like, damn, how deep is this rookie draft class? And the final note on the Raptors, too, Kyle Lowry is starting to come around. They got good minutes from Dellen Wright uh, before he was injured. And I, I just— they're, they're so good. And uh, even Ananobi, he wasn't even supposed to be ready for the season. And no. like here he is in any other year, he's probably like a, a top three rookie. But because Donovan Mitchell, Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum exist, he's not. So uh, it's just uh, – it's mind-boggling to me. And he – according to NBA Matt's total points added, by the way, he ranks as one of the four most valuable rookies this season on a contender, a I, uh, contender. So I listed him as a top four rookie a couple weeks ago, and Twitter predictably went insane over that. Who was who, um, they, who were they mad like that you put him over Lonzo Ball? Uh, I think the Kuzma? most the, most was Kuzma. Actually, was what I was going to say. Um, Lakers fans are very passionate about. And maybe their, if Kuzma played defense, that wouldn't have been uh, as easy. Um, as a decision. This is completely unrelated, but if you didn't see the argument and I got in, in with some dude about Lonzo and Ben Simmons last night, you should check it out when we're done recording. Oh, I'm, I'm <laughs> now that's going to happen because <laughs> it was fun. Um, I gave the Raptors an A as well, and I almost gave them an, an A plus. I just I felt like I wanted to differentiate the Celtics from the rest of the conference. Should the Raptors the triple been, plus like I did. <laughs> the Raptors have been awesome. They they lead. I, I mentioned this when I was talking about the Celtics, but they lead the Eastern Conference in uh, net rating. They're outscoring opponents by seven point six points per hundred possessions. Kyle Lowry, like you said, he he got off to a really slow start. He has more than recovered. Um, he has pulled himself all the way up to 10th in the entire NBA in box plus minus. And I, I, I searched this. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but he's like a top seven player in that metric. Basically since the day he joined the Raptors. Um, the only people ahead of him are like the super, super, superstar names that you can think of. Like Curry, Westbrook, LeBron, Chris Paul. Um, I think he was sixth or seventh. Long story short, he's been... It, it, it makes people uncomfortable when you talk about how Lowry may be 
a more valuable player to a winning team than John Wall. Like they get like yeah. really bent out of shape. Well, but it's, it's kind of the with, truth. It's it's the same with him and Kyrie Irving. Um, I, I don't think it would be that hard to argue that Lowry's been the best point guard in the East for three or four years now. He's he's so good, and I don't get what makes people so hesitant to accept it. Um, this season, his true shooting percentage is sixty three, even after the slow start. It's it's just. And he's a pit bull on defense, which is how I described Kemba Walker earlier, too. Sorry for the repeat, but uh, he's just been awesome. DeMar DeRozan continues to do what he does. And I think one of the main reasons I like Toronto this year is that front office has perfectly they, – they have like a two-track team going right now. They have these awesome veterans that have been together for a long time and have lots of chemistry and um, you know DeRozan and Lowry and Valanchunas. This core has been in the playoffs a bunch of times together. But sort of developing behind them is a bunch of really intriguing young guys. Jakob Pudel looks good. Uh, like you said, DeLon Wright looked really good this season. OG Ananobi, um, just from an efficiency standpoint, has been one of the best rookies in the league. Uh, Lucas Nogueira is still pretty young. I think he's 25, but he's, he's among the league leaders in defensive box plus minus every single year. They have I was so upset when, he, when that muscle tear in his right calf was reported. Yeah, that's rough. Um, but long, I mean, they have so much brewing behind those main guys too. So this is a team that I think, I think is set up to compete now. And even as this, uh, current group sort of fades into the sunset, they're, they're going to continue to be interesting because they have a lot of interesting players. CJ miles has been fine too. We should probably mention him. Yeah. 39% from three. Yeah. He's, he's been awesome. Um, that bench is, is really good again. Like it was last year. Do you think they should make a play for Marcus all? That trade that you laid out in your article at Bleacher Report was super interesting. Uh, the three-teamer that that put Gasol on the Raptors. I, you know, if he's motivated and he's like the player that he was maybe two years ago, that's a super interesting team. Lowry, DeRozan, um, is still there in that trade, right? Yeah. Abaka, Gasol, and then. I guess Norman Powell starts at the three or, or CJ miles or OG Ananobi, I guess. Uh, yeah, he was gone at the trade, right? Yeah. And that's the, so I, I like, you know, I made it up because like Gasol to the Raptors is like, that's the, just the one of the more popular scenarios. Yeah. I'm not for doing it. If you have to give up Ananobi, which you probably do, uh, because unless you really think Bruno Caboclo is going to come around, he's officially, he should be here, right? This is his fourth year. He was two years away from being two years yeah. away. So he's here. Um, just, and that's the kind of deal that, like, it makes sense right now, but it 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 would almost certainly have to blow up that two-track thing I just laid out. And I don't think Gasol is as good defensively anymore. He's just not as mobile. And he's now 33 years old, right? Yeah, it's age 33 season. I think he might still be 32. But, yeah, so um, I don't think they should unless it's, you know, unless it's the dirt cheap situation like Eric Bledsoe. Like, they just, you know, you could pick him up without giving yeah, up. Yeah, if you could get him for, like, one guy in a pick, that would be really interesting. Um, I'm sorry, but can we do some breaking news on the podcast? Yes. The Sixers are, per ESPN.com, Zach Lowe, the Sixers are nearing a deal to send Jaleel Okafor to the Brooklyn Nets. Hey, that was one of the dis- or destinations I liked for him. Yeah, I mean, they're just like, the, haven't we talked about this? They're just hub for career revivals, and... I don't know if you put a bow on the Raptors. I don't want to take your turn for picking a team, but maybe we should just uh, move Yeah, on. I was going to say, let's do— oh, uh, Guess who they're sending per Shams Karina. 
I just got the Shams notification. That's Tell me what it is. Uh, it's Trevor Booker. It's built around Trevor Booker. Oh, that is sad. I really like Booker there. Booker actually might help the Sixers but he, if they're done with I was going to say, he's, he's awesome in Philly. Um, Booker is, is actually like good, though. Like, I love tri- – like, Yeah, he's been awesome ever since he left the Wizards. Just really, like, a versatile uh, hustle guy. He, he does a lot of things I like. Um, yeah, so, um, so the Nets. <laughs> Let's talk uh, – I, I was going to say, our next two teams should probably be Nets and Sixers then. All right, let, you want to start with the Nets? Yeah. Um, let's see, where did I have them? I gave the Nets a. I'm bumping them up right now. Right now, too, as we talk. <laughs> I'm going to give them a C plus. All right. Even as I even as I say that, it feels like I might need to go higher. But um, I gave them a B. FYI, they're minus three point one points per hundred possessions this season. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie has been. Awesome. I, I think since D'Angelo Russell went down and he became the starting point guard, he's averaging like 16 and 8, something like that. Um, I, I just love the way that they're building this team with almost no <laughs> assets to speak of when Sean Marks got there. The fact that they now have two potential building blocks. I don't I don't know if I want to call Jaleel Okafor a potential building block because I've um, I kind of I didn't have any stock in him initially and I would have sold it by now if I had. But having said that, I, I think Kenny Atkinson and this team is like the perfect situation for him to maybe revive his career and um, uncover maybe some of the potential that he had coming out of Duke. I think they were already absolutely doing that with D'Angelo Russell before he got hurt. His three-point percentage was weirdly like really low, but he was doing everything else super well. He was scoring almost 30 points per 36 minutes, um, passing the ball well, getting rebounds. He looked awesome. Um I, I I just love the way Atkinson is sort of, and Marks too is sort of reviving careers. And as I'm speaking, like I said earlier, I feel like I might need to bump them up even more. But um, yeah, I'll go ahead and do it. I'm going to say B minus for the Nets. Um, uh, I I'm going B pl- uh, B for them. Excuse me, because just the injuries they deal with. Russell's out, and like they're just they're still finding guys who can perform. Jared Allen looked good at points. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I even want to give him a B plus for this trade because Trevor Booker probably doesn't factor in to your future, and you know you have uh, high character veterans who can sort of float the culture that you've built, like Damari Carroll, who is still there. Um, and I mean even Nick Nick Stauskas, who they're getting in the deal as well. Like there's just. You know, oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, because they had a match. Uh, I guess you know the salary matching uh, for salary matching purposes. So like Nick Nick Stauskas could be their next Joe Harris. Like look at what Joe Harris has done. He can do some stuff when he's driving to the basket, and he's a great three point shooter. And their development of Spencer Dinwiddie has been incredibly spectacular. Like it's just I I his you know he was supposed to be a top prospect when he was coming in. Um, to the NBA, but that ACL injury really hurt him. But you look at what he's doing with the Nets, and I'm going to toss out some stats there because I've been working on a uh, feature for him uh, on him for a while, and he's just he continues. When I find these numbers after watching him, I continue to be blown away. Um, he's not shooting well within five feet of the hoop, but it's all, almost because he's like too patient when he's in the lane. Like he's always trying to make the right decision, and he's only turned the ball over 8.6 percent of the time. Uh, as the pick-and-roll ball handler, and that's the absolute best mark among 50-something players who have jump-started 90 or more pick-and-rolls this year. 
The Nets are scoring like a top seven offense when he's on the court. Uh, his free throw rate is good relative to how often he's kind of shooting two pointers now because he takes um, a lot more threes. And it's just, I, I, I mean, uh, this is my favorite stat. Four players are clearing 17 points and eight assists per 36 minutes while swishing at least 39% of their threes this season. JJ Barrera, because obviously JJ Barrera, James Harden. Who I just streamed into my fantasy team the other day and, and helped me win a couple categories. He's but go ahead. Good. That he's part of what the Magic should do when they sell. Uh, Mavericks should do when they sell. But James Harden, LeBron James, and and Spencer Dimwitty. Like he's just he's he's going to be better on defense when he doesn't have to cover some of the toughest assignments every night either because his long term spot might be at that two guard position. Who knows? But I'm just. Uh, it's going to be interesting what the Nets do moving forward as now they're going to get their picks back after this year. But what like what happens when you need to reinvest in Karis LeVert, who's again showing flashes? Rondé Hollis-Jefferson as well, defensively, as a passer. Hollis-Jefferson's also been fairly good from mid-range this year. What happens when you have to start reinvesting in this roster is when it becomes a problem because you don't want to be stuck in mediocrity as you get your draft picks back. So... Uh, you know, it's just he's it, gonna Jaleel's gonna start from day one, right? I would think uh, just because Booker's gone, um, Mozgov is just like like just Dunskis there. It depends upon whether they're maybe just higher on Jared Allen. Uh, I, I know they really yeah. do. I know they really do like him, but uh, he's gonna get minutes because it's not gonna go to Tyler Zeller. Booker's yeah. gone. They're not gonna play Mozgov, so I, you're probably looking at the spot where Ja can get at least twenty minutes a game. For the rest of the year, maybe it's not right away, but but he'll get there. So I, I give them a B, and I, I'm you know what I give them a B plus because this trade is just it's a smart <laughs> trade. It's no risk. Nick Stauska is coming yeah, off the books this year you. too, so um, and that would lead us to the Sixers, whom I gave an A minus just because Markel Fultz isn't playing and they're still contending for home court advantage in the in the Eastern Conference. Like that's just incredible to me their offense still isn't great uh their defense though ranks 10th in points allowed per 100 possessions they are I, i'm gonna let you throw out the stat because i'll stop talking very soon here but when covington and simmons and Embiid just share the floor they're destroying opponents as yep. their bench kind of just rounds into form and maybe booker helps them it'll help yeah more than amir johnson would uh, i'm still i still like rich on holmes and would like to see him play a little bit more, uh, a big TLC guy. Uh, so I, I, it would be interesting to me, though, if they could pull off a trade that might boost their chances this season. Like maybe you bring in Wesley Matthews if you can get rid of Jared Bayless's salary, and you do punt on free agency this summer a little bit. But if we're being realistic, LeBron probably isn't going to Philly. And even if he does, you can trade Wesley Matthews' expiring deal at that point. But I, I seriously just digress. Like they've just – They've set themselves up. It looks like they might be able to make some noise. Maybe they make it out of a first-round playoff series, which is a big deal. Ben Simmons looks like a future Hall of Famer. Embiid is in the conversation for defensive player uh, of the year uh, to me. It's just the Markel Fultz stuff. I might even give them an A if they're front office, and I don't I don't want to like call out their doctors, but like, what the hell is going on with Markel Fultz? You know, you yeah, had him playing weird. through the shoulder injury, and now we're almost two months later, and the shoulder injury he was playing through has not allowed him to practice yet. So that's why they probably get the A minus, and why you could probably even go B plus. Yeah, I went A minus on them too. Um, like you said, when they have their three main guys on the floor, they're ridiculous. And Ben Simmons averaging near a triple double as a rookie, um, it just it's ridiculous to me how good he is right off the bat. And I get 
a lot of people are barking about how oh, he's not really a rookie because he had a chance to sit out a year and, and observe. Um, even if a second-year player was doing what he's doing, it's just insane. Uh, Joel Embiid is ridiculous still. Um, I think Robert Covington, last time I checked, is in the top 10 in the entire NBA in ESPN's real plus-minus. Uh, he's been absurd. I, the only reason I went A-minus um, – because it's a pretty ridiculous leap to go from what they were the last four or five years to what they are now. Um, and you would think that'd be enough for an A. But the bench and, and sort of the letdown when those three guys aren't on the floor, uh, that's what takes them down to an A-. minus. But like you said, maybe this Trevor Booker deal helps with that a little bit. I, I think he's an excellent energy guy. Um, he can pass a little bit. He, he even showed flares of, of shooting when he was in Utah. I think TJ McConnell is one of the best backup point guards in the NBA. So maybe, like you said, if that bench rounds into form, suddenly this is a, a really, really interesting team. Yes. All right, I think I'm next. I'm going to go with... You have to go twice in a row because I kind of hijacked your turn. So just oh, okay. keep that in mind. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Pistons. Um, I gave the Pistons a B. They have cooled off quite a bit. I think they just finished off an 0-4 road trip. Um so I, I would have had them quite a bit higher, I think, had it not been for that. The guy that's uh, impressed me the most, and I think I've talked about him every episode of the show, like the last three or four, I, I cannot get over what Andre Drummond is doing this season. Uh, in his first five seasons, he, he handed out a total of 277 assists for five years combined. Uh, this year, he's on pace for 328 assists. And I think it's really altered who they are as a team. Reggie Jackson is back to the form that he was at before last season, uh, his first full season in Detroit. Uh, Avery Bradley, I think, is, is fitting pretty well. I think Luke Kennard's starting to show some signs. Um, there's a lot of good things happening with Detroit. I, I think despite this recent slide that they're on, I'm, I'm pretty confident that they're going to make the playoffs at this point. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said there. And Andre Drummond has been impressive. Uh, just with ditching the post-ups, his, his free-throw shooting as well, looks more engaged on the defensive end. Reggie Jackson's kind of quietly having a good year. Tobias, yeah, he's been good. Ha- Tobias Harris. Oh, I should have mentioned Tobias, too. Yeah, go ahead. Just spectacular offensively for them. Uh, cooling off on how I thought he might be a, a, like an okay defender. That has uh, had a fallen by the wayside. Duncan Smith of Pistons Power pointed this out um, last night. Langston Galloway, who they hard-capped themselves for on the first day of free agency, received a did-not-play in their loss to the Bucks. And when you look at what Kentavious <laughs> yeah, Caldwell-Pope Caldwell is doing in Los Angeles defensively specifically, you know, it's, it's just I, I'm still against that. I know Duncan Smith kind of played uh, friend of the pod, and I know he, he was just kind of playing both sides of the fence, and he was sometimes he leaned like he was okay with it. But, like, that decision looked bad then, and it looks worse now in my opinion, and it's hard to like kind of grade. You almost, at one point, it looked like Stan Van Gundy might be a coach of the year candidate, um, but then it's like, well, he made that decision. Um, Stanley Johnson has been, he's been like okay this year. I, I still would love to see him with a jump shot. Uh, it's it's Smith continues to impress. I guess they're done with him shooting threes, though. It seems like he's really not allowed to do that. Avery Bradley's been good on an individual level, and we talked about this at length. Um, in a mailbag, the defensive numbers just always aren't going to show up for him because of the way he's been used, and I think that's okay. He's a really good player, but again, when you look at what Kentavious Culpope has done in in Los Angeles, maybe you didn't want to give him five years and eighty, but the the Langston Galloway situation, like that would I'd rather have Kentavious Culpope on the roster, and you could have circumvented the the salary cap 
uh, Manusha to to get both him and Bradley on the same roster. So that's where I land with them, and I, th- I think a B is a solid grade. That's what I had them as, too. All right, I'm going to go Cavaliers next. LeBron James, just his his raw numbers are mind-blowing. 28.2 points on 18.7 shots a game, uh, shooting 59% from the field, 43% from three, a 64 effective field goal percentage, 25, 25 games into the season, and he has a 64 effective field goal percentage. That's just crazy. 67 true shooting. Um, 8.6 assists. Eight rebounds, 1.4 steals, 1.2 blocks. I think they've won 13 straight. Um, yep. So they are they are definitely <laughs> they look like a juggernaut again. I, I just I can't get over what LeBron's doing in year 15. Um, and I, I I think I admitted a year or two ago that I I think he is now the best player in NBA history. I feel like every season he has from here on out is just sort of slowly but surely widening the gap between him and Michael Jordan. Um, I gave the Cleveland Cavaliers a B-, and the only reason I did is because uh, Teron had to injury had to intervene to uh, show him that Derrick Rose should not be playing. And if, if, they, if Rose comes back to the team whenever this injury thing is, is resolved and instantly goes back into the starting lineup, I might have to bump him down to like a D because it should be so abundantly obvious by now that he should not be in that rotation. But uh, like I said, LeBron's been absurd. Kevin Love is starting to pick up. The Dwayne Wade-Kyle Korver bench unit, the numbers on that are just insane. So, oh, my God, yeah. Uh, that's the only reason I marked him down is because the Derrick Rose stuff. But they, they have looked ridiculous over the last basically three weeks now. It's It's been absolutely crazy. And LeBron is, when you look at the uh, – this will change when Isaiah Thomas comes back. He's generating – in terms of the share of the Cavaliers' total offense, the fifth most of his entire career. Jeez. Like, eight, the, his 15th season. Like, his his 15th season. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, though. And I'm, he's had so many minutes on those legs. It's just crazy that he's still doing this. And I'm also, so, I'm with you. I'm interested to see, like, what kind of happens with the roster. Like, what I know LeBron said the other day that he can integrate Isaiah Thomas 1-2-3 because... Uh, he's been playing 2K, which is fantastic that he that said that. That was pretty funny. But, like, yeah. the Tristan Thompson-Kevin Love dynamic uh, is a little bit weird. Like, the Cavs, over their 13-game stretch with Kevin Love at, at center, um, 378 minutes he's been at center, and they're scoring 112.4 points per 100 possessions, which is spectacular, but they're coughing up almost 107 on the defensive end, which is 20th. Do you think about moving Thompson um, into the starting unit, especially because Jay Crowder hasn't been great this season, and maybe he's just a little bit better off the bench for you at this point? Do you leave Tristan Thompson coming off the bench because they're one? It hasn't even been a weakness over this 13-game stretch, but like they've been better on offense than they are on defense. So I I, I don't know what you do. And then the Derrick Rose thing, if you look at the numbers, that Calderon led or piloted, whatever you want to call it, starting yeah. lineup has been absolute fire on the offensive end why mess with it maybe Derek, i don't it's just i don't know if you caught this but uh, i think it was yesterday i said calderon's averaging two and a half points per game and is like clearly better for this team than Derek rose right so it's it's like i don't know it'll they have some interesting they're good problems i have uh, they have i guess but they're still you know they're interesting questions for them but they've been 
you know, their defense is I'm, their offense is is fine, but their defense has ranked sixth in points allowed per 100 possessions over this 13 game stretch. They're not giving up nearly as many wide open threes. They're just they're trying harder generally. And if you get Jay Crowder just to play better overall at some point this season, you become a much better team, uh, in my opinion. And Dwayne Wade has been like okay on defense this year too. We talk about you know what he does as a facilitator for those bench units, and he might be when you look at what's happened with Lou Williams having a start in Los Angeles. Uh, perhaps that'll change when Tio Dosic comes back. But Tyreek Evans starting in Memphis now, uh, Dwayne Wade might really have a case to be one of the two or three top candidates for sixth man of the year as LeBron LeBron called him the number one guy, but he might be in the top three. So I ended up giving this team a B plus because they've navigated injuries and now they're on this thirteen game winning streak. They've they've kind of righted the ship. Maybe I by always default. feel like injuries have helped them. Right. That's why by default. Um, yeah. I'm prepared to give them a B plus though just because LeBron's been spectacular. Um, and Dwayne Wade is finally, however Tyron Lue did it passive-aggressively, uh, whatever, like, he's on the bench now, and, like, that's working, and mm-hmm. uh, they're really riding the, the Kevin Lovett center stuff offensively. What will define their grade for the halfway mark is how they react to, like, you know, how do you incorporate Tristan Thompson? What are you doing with Derrick Rose? What are you doing with Isaiah Thomas? One more note before we move off the Cavs. I mentioned that Corver Wade bench lineup. Um Corver, Wade, and LeBron have shared the floor for 215 minutes. They're scoring 123.7 points per 100 possessions, and they're allowing 94.4, net rating of 29.3. That seems like really, really, you know, good. Don't call me an expert. That trio is is insane. Um, um, I the, think I took my two, so it's back to you. The, the one note I'll add, though, is that the, the – uh, that Calderon starting lineup is scoring almost 114 points per 100 possessions uh, <laughs> uh, over the past. They've played 10 games in the last 13. He doesn't even have to shoot, and he's better for the team than Rose. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just – and, you know, it's just – I can't get over the bench. Like, that's just – like, that. that's just yeah, incredible. Yeah, crazy. The, the, this one's crazy to me. The Fry, uh, Jeff Green, Kyle Korver, Osmond, Wade – lineup has locked 32 minutes across eight games over the Cavaliers' last 13. They are a shit show on defense. They're scoring 125.7 points per 100 possessions. Like, it's just, the things are just working for them. Um, but anyway, so I gave them a B plus. I'm going to move on to the Atlanta Hawks. I gave them a C plus. They're dealing with not only are they dealing with a lot of injuries right now, but it's it's all their quality big men. Dwayne Dedman, Mike Muscala, John Collins. I credit Buttonholzer. Maybe it was an edict from the front office, but like he was gradually playing John Collins more, more who has been superb. I almost I still find the Hawks sometimes fun to watch. I'm a big Torian Prince guy. I, I kind of like what DeAndre Bemery can do on defense, and, and he also just seems like this he's basically a shooting guard to, uh, who to me like rebounds like like a big or it looks like he could eventually be that guy who's just going to be dominant on the glass for his position he might already be there and he's also he's a sneaky good passer i love luke babbitt you know i love luke babbitt or at yeah. least you should know i love luke babbitt but what's been disappointing i th- more people on this team seem to have the green light from three and yet the hawks to me aren't really shooting enough of them they rank 12th in pace right now, and I'm disappointed there too because I thought that 
they would be faster. And they're also just not getting out in transition as much with, with someone who's just kind of like as springy as Dennis Schroeder and Reckless. You'd think that would be uh, – that they would rank uh, higher on that scale as well. And they, they don't have like a great backup point guard situation, obviously. That factors into it too. You have you know guys like Isaiah Taylor getting minutes. Uh, but I, I don't know. They, they've been like – they've been disappointing and fun at the same time. Yeah, I went C plus for them as well. Um, I I think that this really bad record that they have, it's five and nineteen. It's not much better or worse than we could have expected coming into the season. They were a clear uh, tanker as we headed into the year. I I was a little disappointed at Collins' minutes at the the beginning of the season, but like you said, those have kind of been ticking upwards. They have other interesting players, like you said, Torian Prince. Is interesting to me. Tyler Cavanaugh suddenly come out of nowhere to be. It's now 15 games worth of solid basketball from him. I, I I thought it was maybe just a novelty for those first couple appearances that he's had, but he's been solid. Um, John Collins is. I mean, he's really the main thing that I lean on for this team. Um, he's averaging 18 points, 11.1 rebounds. And 1.3 blocks for 36 minutes and shooting 59% from the field. I think I the first person I heard make the DeAndre Jordan comparison was you, uh, but I've seen it from more people since since you first brought it up, and it's almost like there's a chance that he's DeAndre Jordan's sort of movement and athleticism with a little bit more skill, which is really scary to think about. I, I think they have a ton of potential there. Um, so anyway, like I said, this is this is kind of about where we should have expected them to be, and so I'm going to go with the C plus on them as well. Um, next, I'm going to go with the Magic and leave a certain Eastern Conference team for you. Speaking um, of cooling off, right? <laughs> yeah, boy, the Magic—they, I'm pulling up up right now um, as we speak. Their start was insane, and I think everybody kind of expected them to come back down to earth. But they were six and two at one point. Had one of the best offenses in the league. Um, since that six and two start, they're five and thirteen, and they've actually won a few recently. They're they're three and two over their last five. So uh, very up and down with a huge down part. I, th- there's a lot of individual players who are playing well. I think Aaron Gordon should probably still be a, a most improved player candidate. He's still shooting over forty percent from three, which is surprising to me. Um, freezing cold kind of lately though yeah i mean he was he was over 60 the last time we spent a lot of time on the magic on the podcast so that's a pretty significant drop evan fournier's been good vucevic has been good although he's cooled off significantly too um but i went c minus just because this recent stretch has has been really bad i feel like the beginning showed us what they maybe could be um and to see him fall off that quickly was a little bit disappointing to me they need to tank. That's just where I'm at with them. Like, it's just yeah. you know, see where you could trade Nikola Vucevic. Maybe get off Fournier to a team that might be willing to use him as like a, I don't know, like he's probably best as your, what did you say, third best player or something. Jonathan Simmons has been good for them. I still like Terrence Ross. He's on a good deal when he comes back from injury. Alfred Payton is just weird. Maybe he'll pick up the second half of the year like he normally does. Gordon's restricted free agency is going to be, incredibly intriguing because what do you pay him? Like, especially if his offensive numbers continue to like depress like efficiency. I think somebody anyway. will max him out. I, I mean, we'll see. Um, but 
Uh, they're. I, I'm kind of with you there. Uh, they've just have have not been good lately. I I'm gonna give them a C, and I like. I think they should be doing more stuff for Vucevic, who is probably still their best player. It might be Gordon at this point. He's more versatile on the defensive end, uh, so I shouldn't say that. So, but I think they need to do more stuff for Vucevic um, overall. But what they really need to be looking at at this point, and how I'm gonna grade them when we're at the halfway point is going to be did they look to sell off because they're not a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. Like it's just they're right now they're three games out of the um eighth seed and that's with the Heat underachieving and the Hornets underachieving. So you you kind of have to throw them in there when you're looking at can you make the postseason or not. I'm a big fan of Jonathan Isaac by the way and I eventually think that those Gordon at the five with Isaac at the four lineups could be super fun and I'd like to see Frank Vogel experiment uh, more with those. Um, That's what I want to see more than anything is those a front court with those two. And the Magic are running faster, but I would still like to see them shoot uh, more threes as well. So I, I don't his his job Vogels might be on the hot seat just because he's not uh, the first choice of this regime. Like they inherited him, that'll be something else to watch. I don't think it happens during the middle of the season unless they rattle off like I don't know. I mean, they just survived like a terrible stretch. Unless they do something worse than that, he's probably safe through this year. They just don't have a, a true – they don't have a surefire franchise cornerstone. I don't think you can look at Aaron Gordon and say that's it. And that's a that's a problem for them. But it, what kind of contributes to them getting a C could because I think they could be worse. Their defense has just been awful with some of their quote-unquote best lineups on the floor. Uh, they're really giving Gordon some more freedom on the offensive end and trying to figure out if he is going to be that cornerstone. They need to switch him more on defense, I think, because he's still improving as an isolation defender. And it – it's just fun when you can see him fly all over the place. He'll probably never be a great rim protector, but he can defend like a wing in, in a lot of different spots, even though the Magic's defensive rating is absolute crap when, when he's on the floor. Uh, but they're running him. He's smarter now on offense. He's making quicker passes. Uh, he's using fewer dribbles, it seems. He's more he's more happy to work off the ball, and now that you're able to leverage that three-point shot that we believe he has, that's a bright spot for them, and I think they're doing the right thing uh, with regard to how heavy they're leaning on him, but I, I need to see more like of a rebuilding mindset o- over the next quarter of the season. Unless you have anything to add, we are left with the New York Knicks. Yep. Um, I'm in, I'm curious to hear. I'm gonna I want to flip it on you. What did you give them? I want to hear your explanation first. I gave the Knicks a B minus. Um, I di- I didn't think they would be anywhere near playoff contention with this roster. I was really interesting to see what they would what Chris Porzingis would look like as the like bona fide clear cut number one guy. Um for the first ten, eleven games of the season he was spectacular. He's cooled off quite a bit over the last um I, I did this this morning. It was the last nine games. Um so over his last nine, this is taking longer than I love. Uh nineteen point three points, thirty nine percent from the field, forty from three. He's cooled off a lot, but like long story short, he's been good. Ennis Cantor, to have him as a positive player, uh, it's just not something that a lot of coaches can say they've ever been able to achieve, especially on the defensive end. Um, so for Jeff Hornacek to unlock something in him is crazy to me. Uh, Tim Hardaway has rebounded from a terrible start to look a little bit better. Doug McDermott, another guy who's um, having a much more positive impact than he has at any other point in his career. I just think there's a lot of individual guys you can point to on this team that um, are exceeding expectations. And, and like I said, I, I could not have imagined 
they'd be a 500 team a quarter of the way into the season, but that's where they are. And um, maybe you could honestly ding them for that because like you've said in a few episodes, they should probably be trying to tank. But I think just from a purely basketball standpoint, they have definitely been better than I expected. Courtney Lee has been spectacular too. Um, I go back and forth on this team and I settled on a C minus because I just don't think they're, they're really, I said this with the magic. I don't think they're assuming a rebuilding mindset enough and that's where you need to be. And you know, mm-hmm. yes, Tim Hardaway Jr. has been good, but this is, I don't think this really factors in the Knicks. Career. I just want to remind everyone that his deal is still a piece of shit. Like it's just, <laughs> the, no, because the goal for agency is to get value. I don't care that he's playing well yeah. because you could have had him for less. So you, you failed. Like, let's, I just want that to mm-hmm. get out of the way. Um, Christoph Porzingis, his season has been spectacular. Um, but he, but it makes me uncomfortable. Like some of his shot because he can shoot over guys. Like he's shooting so much from no man's land. Twenty seven point eight percent of his attempts are coming between ten and sixteen feet. He's shooting fifty one point four percent on those looks, and it's because he can just shoot over these guys, which is the advantage to having him at power forward. You can't have mm-hmm. centers defend him because then they have to step out on the perimeter, and most of the power forwards just aren't big enough to hold up. Uh, it's just he's and he's also the reason why, by the way, that uh, Ennis Cantor is like a plus rim protector this year. When you look relative to the league average, no one has saved more value at the rim than Kristaps Porzingis, and he's doing this while defending less shots at the rim than last year because he's a power forward. So he's he's contesting threes, chasing some guys out on the perimeter. The Knicks' defense is not good when he's on the floor still because the Knicks' defense is just not really um, all that great in general. Uh, they are like, I don't know. Like I'm just, they're, you know what they're the worst at? They just don't know how to coax teams into mid range jumpers. They just don't have those defenders. They're dead last, uh, when looking at opponent shots coming at the rim or from behind the three point line, 71.2% of their opponent shots, according to cleaning the glass, come from those two areas combined. That's the worst mark in the league by almost 2%, by the way. Uh, Yeah, it's terrible. So they need to do something about that, and I, I would like to see them tank, and you know this. I want to see even more Frank Nielakina, who's really smooth. Jared Jack has been surprising, like you said, but they need to be, and this is how I will grade them when we're looking ahead to the the second half of the season, is are they going to – they could probably get a first-round pick for Courtney Lee right now, I would hazard, because his contract isn't bad. Uh, Adam Frommel wrote something for Bleacher Report where it actually graded out in this objective formula as the fifth best at the shooting guard position like to value that he was providing. So I think that's what they need to be doing at this point. And I, I don't know that they, they have it in them, but Christos Porzingis has been fantastic and you know, he's a superstar um, and they're milking him, which I was worried that Tim Hardaway jr. Was going to take away from his um, touches and even the same with Michael Beasley, but they don't even really play him that much. So I've been impressed with that. Just looking at some of the stuff that they do though, uh, I don't think Kristaps should be taking as many of those mid-range jump shots. I get it. he's making them. I get it, but I, you know, you want your offense to be elite. And right now, you're uh, over the last 15 games, they're 12th in points scored per 100 possessions. They're they're also, mind you, like benefiting. And I, I really this is what factored into my grade as well. Like they've had a home heavy schedule. They have not been good on the road at all. 
this year. And you look at their net rating on the road, they're being outscored by 13.3 points per 100 possessions overall, third worst mark in the league in front of only the Bulls and the Kings, who are probably the two worst teams in the league, certainly two of the three worst, if you want to throw the Hawks in there. And they're one and seven on the road. So I just don't have a lot of optimism for the team this season and don't think they should be tracing a playoff spot. The final quick note would be we have to remember all of this needs to be relative to their future, which is not exceedingly bright when you look at their cap situation. So if you're going to end up with 30-something wins this year and have this low-level lottery pick, like you've missed an opportunity to add a real impact player at a time when you're probably not going to have the cap flexibility or trade assets, for that matter, to acquire one for the next two or three years. And you you said you gave him a C-? minus. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was... That's this fair. was probably one of the bigger ones we differentiated on too. You were at B minus, right? Yeah, I just thought they've they've definitely played better than I expected. Uh, but I get, I mean, I get the argument. They they should they should probably, like we said in a couple episodes previously, just tell Chris Tapps go home and get that surgery um, <laughs> after the All Star break. Let him get his start, and then let's go. <laughs> yeah, I think that gets us through the entire Eastern Conference. Um, we optimistically thought it might go a little quicker without a guest this time but we are at about an hour and 40 minutes again um to those of you who stuck out the entire thing kudos to you guys we're very proud of you i wish i had some sort of prize to give you here at the end um for listening to us this long but it's just going to be more plugs um you can follow dan on twitter at dan favale f-a-v-a-l-e i'm at andrew d bailey the show's at hardwood knox um most of you probably already follow NBA at NBA underscore math, the host site for Hardwood Knox. Um, please review the podcast, rate the podcast if you haven't already. Um, if you have, commandeer your friends and family members' phones and uh, do so for them on their phones. Subscribe for them too. That would be just a wonderful Christmas gift for them. I'm sure they would be very excited to have <laughs> our episodes waiting for them um, each and every morning that we publish. Uh, until next time, we leave you with the shout out to, I would say, the one and only, but now there's two. There's uh, Kyle Anderson and Bina Udry. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.